Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. And visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. All right. Welcome, everyone. What an exciting morning to gather together to worship the Lord. Um, we, uh, we thought the power would probably go out today. I was surprised this morning to arrive here around 8.15, 8.30, and the power was still on. And, uh, and then the power went off at 8.50, right before church started. Uh, but we got a generator. Thank you to the team that so quickly turned things around for us. We are abundantly blessed. I want you to take out your Bibles today or turn them on. If you've got an electronic Bible today, might be your day. Uh, And turn to uh, Psalm 57. Psalm 57. I'll be honest with you, when the uh, power went off at 8.50, the second it clicked off, I just knew I'm teaching something different today. And so I'm teaching you a sermon that I prepared in about three minutes from Psalm 57 uh, this morning. So We'll see how this goes. Uh, But we've got a big text in Exodus coming up, and uh, I didn't want to. It kind of just feels like a minimum day. You know when you had like a minimum day when you were a kid, or like a rainy day, or a snow day if you came from a place like that, and you know your teacher played a movie or something like that? That was the impression that I got. Like we need to do a little minimum day uh, message today. As As you guys are turning there though, couple of announcements that it's my privilege to give to you today. Uh, Today is the day that life group registration begins. So especially if you're newer to the church and you've been thinking about this moment, like, oh man, I can't wait for the groups to get started so that I can get to know some people in a different kind of setting and can be there week to week, talking about the word together, praying together, and getting to know some other people in the church. Uh, Today is the first day that signups are open. So they're all live at calvary.com. You can go there and sign up. And uh, Janine and her team are in the Welcome Center. And so if you'd like to go see what the groups are and get signed up there, you're welcome uh, to do that. Also wanted to mention that our high school ministry is going to Hume Lake this winter for their uh, high school camp. Uh, I've sent my kids to Hume Lake a couple of times. It's a fantastic uh, place and ministry. Christian camps have changed a lot over the last uh, 10 or 15 years here in California. And Hume Lake is one of the last shows in town. And they do it better than anyone else in my estimation. So our kids are privileged to go there, but we also wanted to mention to you, it is a little bit expensive, more expensive than we're used to. Uh, There's a lot of value that they get for that money, however, but if you're having a tough time with that and you wanna send your kid, we do have some scholarships available, and if you'd like to donate to a scholarship fund, uh, please feel free uh, to do so, but please approach us if you are in need. And uh, I think that's all I need to talk about for announcements today. There's a couple more on there, but I'm going to make an executive decision and move on. (laughs) All right, Psalm 57. Lord, we thank you for your word and ask, Lord, that you'd bless us. Thank you, Lord, for a great men's conference this weekend, just the things that you did and the hearts of so many men. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you're going to do right now in this moment. We praise you. We worship you today. In Jesus' name, we pray, 
Amen. Amen. Psalm 57 is one of the psalms that comes from the life of David during the season of his life that he was being persecuted by his father-in-law, Saul. Uh, I know that we read of his story on the pages of Scripture, and sometimes because it's written there in black and white, or sometimes because we can remember these stories from our children's Bibles in illustrated form, they can almost take a fictional or comic value in our minds. But I just want you to pause for a moment this morning and imagine what it was like for this very young man. He loved the Lord, was impressionable, seemingly innocent and sweet at this stage of his life, to have so rapidly ascended the ranks in Israel, to have so powerfully felt the hand of God upon his life when the prophet anointed him with oil and perhaps, as the rabbis say, whispered in his ear and said, you are the next king in Israel to have been then quickly invited to the house of the king to play your harp, to calm his mad and ailing soul, to then be out on a battlefield hearing the taunting cry of a Philistine warrior and being compelled by the spirit of God to go down into that valley for hand-to-hand or stone-to-sling combat with that giant of a man, to be given victory by God, to run in that victory, to begin then hearing your name in the lyrics of songs that the women of Israel sang to glorify and celebrate the victory that Yahweh had given to his people, to then be invited into King Saul's family to marry his daughter, to befriend his son, the prince, Jonathan, and then to almost as quickly have the venom and hatred of a jealous and mad man in Saul turned against you, to have to run for your life, to go to that very same prophet and ask, what is happening to me, to run into the wilderness, to find a cave, and to cry out to God. It's a very real experience that David went through, a painful experience that David endured. It was the ultimate in betrayal, extreme loneliness, total pain. What would you do in a time like that? Well, at that stage in David's life, David cried out to the Lord. Let's read the first three verses of Psalm 57. He says, be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you, my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. 
Now, in the superscription of this psalm, the description that's given to us at the beginning, it says that this is a song that he wrote from the cave of Adullam. There he is in this cave, and he begins this song with a cry of faith. I want you to see what the cry of faith does to a cave. There he is in this cave, and he says, God is my refuge. He's thinking of this cave as a place where God is saving him, where God is protecting him, where God is watching over him. And a question that I have for you this morning is when God is doing his work, when he is providing his place of refuge, when he brings a person into your life, when he brings provision into your life, when he sustains you another day, are you recognizing God is my refuge? I might be here in this cave. I might be finding solace with this person, but behind this person, behind this provision, behind this paycheck is the God who is my refuge. He's the one who's protecting me. He's the one who's defending me. David did not feel for a moment that at the end of the day, the cave was his need, but that Yahweh was his need. He felt that that cave would be a launching place for prayer. He said in verse two, I cry out to God most high. You know, I find that some people, when they find themselves in the caves of life, they feel abandoned, they feel betrayed, and they begin to say, why would I cry out to God from a position like this? Why would I cry out to God when my life is in such disarray or when I'm experiencing such pain and heartache? But David, in the cave said, no, this is the place. This is the time when I am especially going to cry out to my God. And the cave for David was a place where God would send him his love. He said, God, verse three, will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. He believed that the cave was not too far of a place for God to deliver the mechanism of his covenantal love to his man. You know, I'm sure there were people whispering in David's ear, you're crazy to think that you're the future king in Israel. Don't you see what is happening to you? You're crazy to think that you heard the voice of the Lord. You're crazy to think that God is on your side. But there in that cave with a father-in-law pressing down upon him with 3,000 troops, David said, no, it's in this cave that I am going to experience the steadfast love of the Lord. He just had his eyes upon the faithfulness of God. And I wonder today if you can say a similar thing. If you can say, you know, Lord, even in my deepest pains, even in my greatest heartache, I confess that your steadfast love, it still reaches me. Even when things are happening in my life that feel counterintuitive to your promises and your purposes and your good heart and will towards me, even when those things occur, Lord, I believe in your steadfast love. Now, Pastor Josh was talking yesterday about how our God, to, to the men, he said, you know, our God is a God who has tasted his own medicine. He has endured the suffering. He has endured the pain. 
And one day, every tear will be wiped away. One day, all pain will be resolved. One day, all things will be made new by that same God. But David in that cave said, God, I believe in your steadfast love towards me. How many of you, by a show of hands today, you can say, I experience the steadfast love of God most acutely in some of my deepest pains of life. Is there anybody today who can testify to that? Yeah, God is faithful. He is faithful. His steadfast love reaches into the cave. Okay, let's go on in the psalm, though, and see how David felt about the situation that he was in. He said in verse four, my soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Here's the situation David felt that he was in. He he didn't describe it in human terms. This This is why we love the Psalms so much. They're so poetic. They're so beautiful. Uh, He's not writing a narrative. He doesn't just say, uh, here's my situation. My father-in-law, he is nuts. And he's chasing me for no good reason. And he has soldiers at his disposal. And he's down here in the valley hunting cave to cave to cave looking for me. And eventually, he'll likely find me. No, that's not how David describes it. He describes it beautifully in poetry. He says, my soul is in the midst of lions. (laughs) What a cool description. He's like, my my inner man, my my inner being, it's like the craziest, wildest predator I can imagine walking the face of the earth is pursuing my inner being right now. What a beautiful description. He says, I lie down amid fiery beasts. You know, he's saying, "I, I, I try to sleep in this cave. I try to get a few hours of rest. And it's like there is this predatorial dragon that is pursuing me. And then he calls the children of men, he says, their teeth are spears, their teeth are arrows, their tongues are sharp swords. David was a man who was under attack. And it seems to me that that what he felt he was going through in this situation was, at at the end of the day, he felt hunted. He felt hunted. And, and I wanna ask you this morning, have you ever had a situation in your life where you have felt completely hunted? Like, man, something is just out there trying to take me out. Sometimes that can come in the form of human beings. Humans who just, for whatever reason, the chaos in their own heart, the pain that they've endured, the wickedness that they have succumbed to, they decide in their evil to place a target on your back. If you've ever had that experience, it's a, it's a frightening moment. There's no reasoning with a person like that. 
There's no mediating with a person like that. It's a painful, and I should say it this way, hopeless experience because it feels like there's no way out. David could probably relate to that idea. But how often have you also felt hunted by something within your own soul? The, the battles within, the thought life that cannot be fully submitted to the way of the Lord, the, the constant conflict and war and wrestling of the soul. It was one of the main reasons I wanted to invite Josh to speak to our men was because of the concept that he talks about of mixture, the mixture within, the part of us that wants the good and righteous and glorious and best and obedience to the Lord, but then that other part of it, Paul calls it the flesh, that remnant of the old nature that is thirsting to self-destruct thirsting to destroy, thirsting to bring us into decisions and habits that Christ has given us the victory over so that we might be enslaved once again. David felt that way. I am hunted by these people. I am in danger. I am encircled. So what does David do? Well, let's read in verse seven to the end of this psalm. He says, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. What I want you to see here in the close of David's song is that he made a firm commitment to the Lord. And, and I wanna say that I think this is a commitment that we can make as well, even if it's a commitment that we need to make daily because we so often fail in the commitments that we make to the Lord. The first thing that it seems to me that David committed is found there in verse seven, and I'll say it like this. He told his heart where to go. He told his heart where to go. He says, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. You know, there's the kind of song that is a reactionary song, isn't there? You know, the song of victory, the song of celebration. You know, you picture like a team that has won a championship and there they are in the locker room with their song playing on the team stereo. It's a song that is played in response to something that has occurred. But there is also, and this seems to be the song that David is singing here, a pre-victory song a song that believes in God's deliverance, trusts in God's deliverance before the deliverance has come. And David says that. This is what my heart is going to do. I'm gonna tell my heart where to go. How often do we need to do this? I gotta tell my heart, I gotta tell my soul, I gotta tell my spirit where to go. And, and so often when we direct it in the wrong place, our spirit decays, 
depression enters in, but instead we need to be a people who say, no, the cross of Jesus Christ has given me a reason to sing. I've got to direct my heart to the steadfast love of God. I've got to direct my heart to him. I've got to tell my heart where to go. A second thing, though, that David did is in this commitment is found in verse eight. To me, he's saying, I am going to beat the day. Because he said, awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. This is kind of David's way of saying, I mean, here, here he is. He's crying out to his instruments. He's like, get up. It's music time, it's worship time, it's celebration time. That's what we're doing right now. And then he says, I am going to be the one who wakes up the dawn. Now, I don't know if you guys are morning people or not. You're at the 9 a.m. service, so you're kind of right there in the middle. You might be a morning person who wishes we had a 7 a.m. service. Or you might be a little bit later in the day person who doesn't want to come all the way at 11 o'clock. I, when I preach to the 11 o'clock service people, I know I'm not talking to morning people. <laughs> but you guys, you're kind of right there in the middle. You might be the kind of person that you, you do like to get up before the sun rises. It's dark when you wake up. But, but that's what David is saying. He's saying, this is who I am. I'm going to wake the dawn. Now, this doesn't have to be applied in a literal sense. You gotta get up before the sun rises to seek the Lord. I'm looking at Reed over here. He's a golf professional. He definitely gets up before the sun rises. It's part of the gig. But what David is saying is, I'm gonna be a person who at the beginning of my day, the tone is set. I'm making a decision at the outset of this day that I'm going with the Lord, that, that I'm going to submit to him, that this is gonna be a day that I trust in him even though I am in the crosshairs of this man. I'm going to trust him. And I wanna encourage you to be a person who beats the day. You know, I find that, that each day, you, you never know what it, what's, what's going to happen. You never know what's going to be in store in a given day. But you can prepare in advance for whatever comes by saying, Lord, at the beginning of today, I'm gonna set it apart for you. I'm gonna hear from you. I'm going to sit at your feet. I'm gonna allow you some time to speak to my soul, to my heart. I want today to be a W, a win in the win column for you. And so I want to commit this day to you before it even begins. Beat the day. But then I love this in verse nine. David was also in this firm commitment to God, a thankful man. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations for your steadfast love is great in the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. David is saying here, I'll be a thankful man. Now, if you were in his situation, would you have been a thankful person? <laughs> you know, you might, you might have been excused to say, you know, this is like, I know the Lord doesn't like grumbling, 
but this is like an exception. You know, I'm allowed a little complaining in this situation that I'm in. But David, he said, no, I'm going to thank the Lord. Uh, I don't know if you're a person that thankfulness comes naturally. I would really love to meet you after service if that's you. That's not me at all. I'm definitely not a naturally thankful person. There, there have been times in my life where I have to discipline myself to either in written form or in prayer form, take time to be thankful to the Lord, to, to kind of just go through my situation, my life, what's happening, and to, to praise him, to be thankful to him. Some of it is because I'm very future-oriented. I'm thinking about what's next. I have a terrible memory and have a hard time remembering what happened in the past. I'm always just thinking about and preparing for what's next. My family jokes around with me that my best friend, one of the people I care about the most, is future Nate. (laughs) You know, it's like, why are you in the kitchen tonight? It's like, time to go to bed. Why are you cleaning everything up right now? We could do that tomorrow. And it's, well, I'm thinking about future Nate. Future Nate's going to wake up and come into this kitchen tomorrow, and he's not going to want it to be messy. So I'm I'm thinking about future Nate all the time. (laughs) And sometimes I have to take a step back and say, you know, Lord, I am thankful for what you're doing right now. I praise you for what you're doing right now. And what I find when I put myself through the discipline of thankfulness is that my disposition is better, my my spirit is better, I'm just a better man in that thankful place. Let's close with the last thing that David was. Not only was he thankful, but he was hopeful. He says, your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. And what I wanna say here is that when David concluded his prayer in this way, he was tapping into the heart of God. Because when you read the prophets of the Old Testament, for as much judgment as they declared on God's people in periods of disobedience, for as much as they, as they were rebuked by God for their waywardness and invited back into the covenant that they were breaking at that moment, making a prophet necessary, the prophets always interspersed throughout their correctives these grand visions of hope, the glory of God covering the earth like the waters cover the sea, the nations coming to the mountain of God to hear the law of the Lord, a reviving of God's people so much so that they had a new spirit and a new heart placed within them. The prophets in all of their despair would always get back to this incredible radical hope. And I suggest to you the second that you lose the future hope of restoration and revival and renewal that God has embedded in his heart, the second you lose it, you are losing one of the core values and tones of Christianity. 
The Bible says we're to continue in faith and hope and love. David set his heart upon hope. He made a firm commitment. God, I believe that your steadfast love is great to the heavens, faithful to the clouds. Be exalted above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.